Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So there's a story about a, a turtle who lived up north, and he really, really wanted to winter down in Florida, but he knew that there was no way he could walk that far. And so he came up with a plan. He, he d- decided he was going to talk a couple geese into flying him down there. And he devised this plan to where the geese would hold on to a rope and he would hold the rope in his mouth and he would just hang on and they would just fly him there. And so as they're on their way to Florida, man, things are going fantastic. But about halfway through the trip, they pass over a pond and some other turtles look up and see this turtle hanging by a rope from his mouth between these two geese and and these turtles said man that's genius that's wild how'd you do that who thought of that and without hesitation the turtle said I did splash you see he just couldn't resist he thought he had done something so wonderful he was so proud of himself and that's the Corinthian church the Corinthian church boy they thought they had done something so wonderful they were so proud of themselves But the things that they were proud of were the things that the Lord, in his word, had come against and warned them against. And so this letter, again, of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul is writing to the actual church there in Corinth, was a letter of correction. Corinth was a church that was way off base. They were stunted in their spiritual growth. They were immature They were divided, they were wrestling with sexual immorality, and they were puffed up with pride about some of their sin. And really, that's what we're going to look at tonight in chapter 5, is Paul is really going to call them out on their pride concerning this sin that they have been involved with. So verse 1 of chapter 5 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you were puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done these things, this deed." In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So, the church at Corinth, boy, all sorts of stuff that they were wrestling through, all sorts of uh, correction that Paul is bringing their way. And now here in chapter 5, after he's discussed the, the, the division that was plaguing their church, after he discussed the spiritual immaturity that was plaguing their church, now he starts touching on some specific items, some specific situations. And it was a well-known fact, people knew all about this, that there was a man in the Corinthian church who was having sexual relations with his stepmom. This is a sin that even the world was like, oh man, what's going on? So Paul says, hey, you know, it's been reported that there's actually uh, sexual immorality among you. Now this word that Paul uses 
for sexual immorality is porneia. And porneia is uh, a term that has a broad meaning uh, concerning sexual immorality. And it really encompasses everything, adultery, uh, premarital sex, fornication, uh, homosexuality. Uh, the definition in the Greek says lesbianism and bestiality. It, it, it's everything. And this is actually the, the word, Greek word porneia is where we get our English word for pornography. So uh, Paul writes and says, man, you guys are, are, are dealing with this sin of sexual immorality. It covers all of these things. And, you know, there are Bible commentators from throughout the ages that say, hey, this word porneia deals with all manner of sexual immorality, from sex outside of marriage all the way through homosexuality and all the rest. Matthew Poole says the scripture by this word comprehends all species uh, of unlawful mixtures. Adam Clark, another old uh, guy who has some good commentaries, says, it must be understood in its utmost latitude of meaning as implying all kinds of impurity. Now, why do I take the time to point this out? Why do I take the time to belabor the fact that this, world, this word porneia really encompasses all manner of sexual immorality? Because there is a movement that is sweeping through the church currently that says, hey, you know what? Homosexuality is not actually defined under this word of porneia. Actually, this, this original word, it, it dealt with prostitution. And, and not all of these other, uh, you know, angles of sexual immorality. Well, that is just completely not true. When you look at this word used in context, not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, it encompasses all manner of sexual immorality. And when we see this word listed with uh, the, the list of sins, we'll see them in the New Testament often, where there's these lists of sins that we're to avoid. What we find is very often that sexual immorality is listed at the, the top of the list. Uh, Galatians 5.19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, so on and so forth. It goes on. And there are many of these lists in Mark 7, in 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Timothy 1, in Revelation uh, we see these lists, but almost every single time you see this list of sins, guess which sin is right up towards the top? Sexual immorality. Now, why is that? Is that it's a more egregious sin than all of the rest? I don't believe that that's the case. For the Corinthian church, when Paul writes this to the Corinthians and to the Galatian church, it was just part of the culture. It was part of the ancient culture. It was what they dealt with. In the Greek culture, which very much clashed with uh, Christian ethics, Greek culture, sexual immorality was, it was kind of the norm. It was just the normal thing to do in their culture. They were heathens. They were pagans. But it's not to be so among uh, the followers of Christ. And so culturally, this was something that they dealt with uh, greatly. And so I believe that it's listed first in these lists because it's right there. It was probably one of the first things that they dealt with is this thing of sexual immorality. Because again, in their culture, that was a norm. And as I studied through this, I thought, boy, again, here with the church of Corinth, we have a 
just striking, uh, you know, similarity with the church at America or just America in general. When you scale back and look at our culture from the 30,000 foot view, man, if there was a letter to the church of America, I guarantee sexual immorality would be at the top of the list. In our culture, sexual immorality is, if not already the norm, quickly becoming the norm. And social media has not really helped that. Social media has been like fuel on the fire because those fringe things, those things that used to be fringe, they go viral. And then what goes viral becomes normal. And so all these weird fringe sexual activities that used to be, you know, uh, there was uh, this check even in uh, just the general population. Now we see that, boy, it's not that way anymore. And uh, we are openly accepting the ideologies of the world. And if we don't, if we choose to say, "Ah, I don't know, then we're considered uh, bigots. Because this whole ideology, scaling back and looking at our culture, to where sexual immorality is the norm in our culture, that has crept into the church greatly. And you guys don't need me to stand up here this evening and tell you that. That's just the way that it is. We, over the last just couple of years, have seen some of the most egregious, gross, sexually immoral things creep into the church. You guys remember uh, uh, the, the whole drag queen situation. Remember, it was just really a, a few years ago where, uh, you know, there was the, the, it wasn't Pennywise. Pennywise is the clown, but this individual was certainly a clown as well. Um, it was Pentecost, was, what is this drag queen? And she came to this Methodist church there in St. Petersburg, Florida. And, you know, she was given the pulpit to, to, to preach and the audacity of this man dressed up in woman's clothing, taking Romans 12.1 and saying, oh, you know what, where, where the Bible tells us that we're not to conform to the world, Romans 12.2, uh, that, you know, boys and girls, don't let the world tell you that your sexuality has to be cis and normative. You know, you can explore and go out and you say, what is going on? This is a church. Uh, and, and it continues on in Dallas. You guys remember this last summer, it was the Sisters of Perpetual uh, sin or whatever, what was it? The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The drag queens that dressed up like nuns and the Yankees gave them this whole stage and everyone was like, boo, Yankees. Or I didn't like the Yankees before anyways. So, or no, it wasn't the Yankees. Who was it? It was the Dodgers. Sorry, Yankees fans. Jeez, I don't want to misplace that. I don't like the Dodgers either. So, but, you know, it was this big deal. It's like, you know, so this church invites these men in and celebrates them and says, oh, you know, this is such a a wonderful thing. We need to openly affirm them and, you know, we need to really uh, prop them up. And then, you know, just a couple months ago here in, uh, where was it? Oh, it was in San Francisco. Shocking. That there was, it was the Calvary Presbyterian Church. And they had this whole situation where they had drag queens come and and quote unquote, and it was the, it's the strangest thing because they are playing like traditional worship music dressed out in drag, just propping each other up. And this is what they had to say about it. they're hoping to offer balance to the hateful rhetoric, especially coming from churches. Here's the thing newsflash this hateful, unquote, rhetoric coming from churches is God's word. It's God's word. And so we're caught in this place where, like the Corinthians, 
Like the Galatians, all these lists that we see uh, where sexual immorality, it's, it's the norm. And again, even in the church, there was a poll that was done, and you can take this with a huge grain of salt because it was a poll that was done by the Washington Post. So I, I'm sure there's not a ton of truth in it, but there's got to be some. They did a, 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 a survey amongst Christians, and these were the questions, you know, uh, is it okay to have sex outside of marriage as long as you're in a long-term relationship? 67% of the Christians said, no problem. 67%. Even if that number is exaggerated, you say 67%. Uh, another question was, do you think it's okay for a Christian to have casual sex? Again, 60% of the, those asked said, no problem. Uh, is it okay to engage in sexual activity on the first date? 40% said yes. Is it okay to be in an open relationship? Where, where, and I won't even get into what that means. But 30-something percent of quote-unquote Christians said, yeah, okay, not a problem. And so it's like, I feel like there's this correlation between the church, and praise the Lord, not our church, but the church in America in general with the church at Corinth, where Paul says, man, even these things that are not named amongst the Gentiles you guys are doing. See, here's the thing. Looking back at this specific situation that was going on in the church of Corinth, what this individual was engaged in was not even done in the world by the heathen people. There were laws against what he was doing. It was uh, considered incestual. It, it, was a, it was a taboo. It was considered a crime. He would go to jail for it. But not only was it forbidden by the law of the land, it was forbidden by the Lord. Like specifically, and it's interesting as I studied through this, that you can go back and there are several instances in the Old Testament that specifically say, hey, stay away from this sort of sin. In Leviticus 18, in verse 8, it says, the nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. Deuteronomy twenty-two thirty: a man shall not take his father's wife. Deuteronomy 27, cursed be he that lies with his father's wife. And so these Corinthians, man, they're, they're walking in just, it's appalling what this guy was up to. And so not only did the church accept it, which is why Paul is, is coming at them like, what are you guys doing? You're, you're not only allowing this to take place, but they were celebrating. They were cheering it on. They're like, "Woo! look at this. Look at how we're puffed up. Aren't we amazing Aren't we just progressive and inclusive and accepting? Look at how progressive and, and open-minded we are. And look at how loving we are as we accept these individuals. But it, it, it wasn't love at all. They were just filled with pride. They were proud of themselves. And it's interesting to me that in our day and age, we have taken uh, and associated in our modern culture pride with sexual immorality. You notice that? So that was what they were guilty of. They were, they were proud of their sexual immorality. And in our culture now, we say we are proud of our, we have a whole entire month dedicated to and where they, they fly the rainbow and say we're proud of what we're doing. Have you ever thought about the audacity of that? What is the rainbow a picture of biblically? It is God's symbol to humanity that he will never judge us in that way again. What did God judge the world for exactly? Why did he flood the earth and wipe out all of the living inhabitants except for Noah and the rest of the animals on the ark? 
a big part of it was sexual immorality. And now here we take that symbol and we throw it back in God's face and say, I'm proud of my sexual immorality. Interesting fact, just so you guys know, the LGBTQAI plus flag has six colors. Do you know how many colors the real rainbow has? Seven. It's just all counterfeit. Do you guys know in numerology in the Bible that six is the number of man and seven is the number of completion? It's just interesting how telling that is, that they couldn't even rip off the rainbow correctly. But it is, what a dangerous situation. Oh, what, what a crazy situation. And this whole uh, idea of sexual immorality, you say, oh, Pastor Jeremy, you're awful hard on the, you know, the LGBTQ uh, community. Here, here's the thing. Uh, this includes all sexual immorality, right? Not just homosexuality. This includes all sexual immorality. Sleeping with your girlfriend, cheating on your spouse, pornography. And the danger is, is that we sit here in our high and mighty churchy seats saying, I'm such a good Christian. I'm not part of that community. All the while, we've got lust filling our hearts and we're cheating and we're, we're doing all the rest. What this sin Paul is talking about, man, there's a broad scope. And uh, it has really in, infected the church in many, many, many different ways. But the reason that I camp out on the LGBTQ arena is that it's the one place where we shake our fist back at God and say, no, that's not a sin. It's the one area where there's a group of people committed to saying, you will accept this as God's good and right will. And I cannot be one who proclaims the truth without approaching that. But make no mistake, it's not segregated to that, that area. It is all areas of sexual impurity. And so as Paul's going through that, keep that in mind. And he says, you guys are celebrating this. You're proud about it. That's your response. But what should their response have been? What does Paul say? He says uh, that you guys are, are puffed up and have not rather mourned, verse 2. That was the right response, was for them to mourn, to feel a deep sadness to feel uh, uh, this, this, this loss of something. Well, when we mourn, when, the word, when I say the word mourn, what do you think of? What comes to my mind is mourning the loss of somebody, something where we're just so broken that we're just mourning that loss. And that's what Paul is saying. You should be mourning your sin, not celebrating it. You should be having a, a funeral for your sin, not a party for your sin. Uh, we're dead to our sin, according to Romans uh, 6. Man, don't throw a party for your sin. Have a funeral for your sin. Could you imagine if you walked through the front door of your house and there was like streamers and balloons and cake and ice cream and there was hats and the, all, the, all the different things and, and you know, your, your son was there and you're like, hey, what's going on? What's with all the, the party favors and stuff? And he's like, dad, I just want to let you know. Man, I got straight Fs. I crashed the car into the lake, and I got my girlfriend pregnant. And you'd be like, uh, I'm sorry, what, what are the balloons and the, the confetti for again? Right? We don't celebrate our sin. And that's what Paul is saying. You guys are celebrating your sin. You should have the opposite. You should be brokenhearted. 
And, and that's what mourning implies. It, it implies this brokenness, right? A broken and contrite heart, David said. And are we broken over our sin? That's, that's really the question. And Paul says, man, you guys should be broken over your sin. It should be a, a deep remorse that leads to repentance. It should be a brokenness that leads to change, right? Remorse is good. Remember, remorse is just a feeling. Repentance is when life actually changes. Repentance means to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So this, this, this mourning it should be this brokenness that leads to repentance. And so, first of all, their response should have been to mourn. Their second response should have been to kick this dude out of the church, to send him packing, not to celebrate him and hold him up on a pedestal of diversity and say, oh, look how loving we are towards us. And they should have gotten rid of this man and said, all right, dude, if you are unwilling to repent, unwilling to change, uh, then you're gone. And that's the thing. Remember, don't think of this man as an individual who like found himself into sin, was like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I'll never do it again. I'm so broken and repentant. He wasn't broken. He wasn't repentant. He was saying, this is a wonderful thing. You'll accept me for who I am. And so uh, they should have kicked him out of the church. And, and Paul says, man, I'm not even with you guys physically. I, I'm hearing what's going on from another source. I'm hearing what's going on from Chloe's family. And I have made that judgment. I've judged this man. I have judged that he ought to be removed. Now, again, what right does Paul have to judge anybody? Well, first of all, he had the authority of an apostle, right? Second of all, he planted the church. Thirdly, he was uh, their father in the faith, as we saw in chapter 4. He's like, hey, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. I can bring the paddle or I can come in peace. He has this authority in their life uh, to judge them. But other than that, remember, we talked about this last week. Right? Are we to, to judge? Because Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 7 said, judge ye not lest ye be judged. And he gave the whole uh, story about the, the one guy who had the beam in his eye trying to get the speck out of his other bro brother's eye. He just said, don't be a hypocrite. First get the beam out of your own eye and then you can see to help your brother. Jesus wasn't saying that we should never judge. He was saying don't judge hypocritically. Right? And, and that's... Uh, uh, that's the problem so often. And I have to wonder if the other members in the church of Corinth weren't wrestling through the same sin. Right? Because that's one of the dangers of, of sin. When we engage in sin, boy, it, 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 it disarms our ability to judge others in that area because then we're judging hypocritically. You can't knowingly be involved in a sexually immoral relationship, sleeping with your girlfriend, and they come alongside your buddy and say, hey man, I know you got an issue with porn, let's talk about this, right? It, it kind of disarms that, because then you're judging hypocritically. So Jesus said we're not to judge hypocritically, but he didn't say we're not to judge at all. Remember we talked about this, he goes on in Matthew 7 to say, hey, how are you to know a tree? You know a tree by its fruits. Uh, we are to be fruit inspectors. And so Paul's judgment, he says, I've judged this man out Kick him out. Why? First of all, correction. Paul says, kick this guy out for correction. He's been warned. He has been unapologetic. He's been unrepentant. He's been unwilling to change. And Paul finally says, hey, fine. If you want it this way, if you want to run full on after your sin, have at it. I'm going to kick you out of the church uh, that you might experience the consequences of your sin. And that was the idea. It wasn't like, you dirty dog, out of here. Boom, you take that. It was like, hey, 
right now you're engaged in this destructive behavior, but you're being sheltered by the, the comfort and the safety that the church affords. If you want to continue in this sin, then man, you can really experience the consequences of your sin. And that was the point. When, when he says, boy, kick him out of the church so that he might be given over to Satan, uh, that, that his flesh might be destroyed, that, that his soul might be saved. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying that this man's carnal nature might be just not his physical body necessarily, but give him over to his carnal nature that he, not carnal nature, wouldn't that be interesting if we had a carnal nature? No, a carnal nature. Give him over to his carnal nature that again he might experience the brokenness in his life, that he might experience the consequences of his sin. Put him outside the church into the world, which is the devil's domain, uh, in the hopes that in wallowing in the consequences of his sin, that he might come to a place of, of repentance. Now, we get very kind of uncomfortable with this whole idea. Turn him over to Satan. Let him, let his body. And now, again, Paul, his intent wasn't that this man be destroyed. But it might involve some bodily harm. Right? If his dad breaks both of his legs, there's some time to think about some things. And so I think one of the mistakes that we make in the church, and we do a great injustice, is when we, when we remove the consequences from people's actions. Right? And what Paul is talking about is, man, let him experience the, the consequences of his sin that he might repent. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember he, he got his inheritance and he broke his dad's heart and he went to the city and he wasted all of his fortune on loose living. Now imagine if somebody would have taken in the prodigal son. He said, there, there, buddy, it's all right. You can stay in my guest house by the pool. We got cable and you can order pizza whenever you want and put it on my tab and you just take all the time you need to kind of get back on your feet again and would the prodigal son have returned home? No, what caused him to be like, man, this was a bad idea. He was stuck in the pig pen. And he was so hungry that the pig food looked good. So often in our culture now, we remove all the consequences from sin. In the church, we kind of wink at sin like the Corinthian church did. And so we have a church filled with immorality. In our culture, We've taken away the consequences of sin. And so we have a society filled with drug addicts and homeless people and lazy folks because there is safety net after safety net after safety net after safety net. I think if people experience, you know, hunger is a good motivator. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. It's a good thing. And we've removed that. And Paul is saying, hey, let's not remove that. Let's put that in full force that he might come to this place of repentance, that his soul might be saved. And again, the goal of discipline that Paul makes here, it's clear. It's not the destruction of his soul. It's salvation. Paul's hope was that this man would be restored, not condemned. And I like what Warren Wearsby has to say. He says, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen 
out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of brokenhearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. I like that. And that was really Paul's heart. And so uh, the first reason that, that Paul wanted this man kicked out of the church was correction for him personally. But secondly, this man needed to be removed from the church not only for uh, correction for him, but protection for the flock, protection for the rest of the church, protection from this man's uh, evil influence. And we talked about this on Sunday. This is where Paul says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And we'll read through this section starting in verse 6. He says, your glory is not good. Again, they were bragging about the sin that they were engaged in. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So just like a little bit of yeast when added to dough will permeate through the whole lump of dough, so too a little bit of sin in an individual's life or in the church, as Paul is talking here, a little bit of sin in the church body will spread through the body and will affect the entirety of the body negatively. If allowed to remain, this man's influence would have detrimental consequences for the church at Corinth. And so Paul says, man, remove this man, not just for his own correction, but for the church's protection. And we applied this concept to our lives personally, this idea of removing the, 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 the leaven from the lump, the, the sin from the church. We liken that to our own personal lives, that so often we find ourselves personally in this place to where we think we can have a little bit of sin in our lives, a little bit of sin under control, a little bit of compromise. But that's just not true. A little bit of sin in our life will eventually come around to bite us. It will spread through our life and it will affect every bit of our life. And we talked on Sunday how we are to deal with that habitual sin in our life. We're never going to be sin-free. We're never going to be perfect. But there's a difference between making a mistake and living day-to-day in habitual sin that so often trips us up. And we talked about, man, how do we overcome that habitual sin? And we looked at verses 7, uh, 8, and, and yeah, 7 and 8 where Paul really, first of all, reminds them of who they are. And that's what we talked about. How do you overcome that sin? You remember. Remember who you are in Christ, what he's done for you. You recognize that you can't conquer sin on your own, that you need the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how we need to revise the way we live, change those things that we can. And then lastly, we replace the the evil habit that we had with good things in the Lord. And I won't uh, re-preach that. If you're interested in that, you can check out Sunday's teaching. But Paul here says, remove this man for two reasons. First of all, uh, correction, and then secondly, for protection. And do you notice, when was this act to be done? Like, when, when did Paul expect the Corinthian church to give this guy the boot? Well, he says, when you guys are gathered together, backing up just a little bit, In verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for destruction. This was to be a very churchy thing. This was to be a very public thing. 
the removing of this man from the, the church because of his uh, unrepentant attitude towards his habitual sin. And we see this uh, in uh, the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about this. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Step one, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, step two, take uh, with you one or two uh, more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he still refuses, step three, tell the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, uh, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. There was this, this, this you know, formula that you would go to him first. Hey, man, bad idea. I don't care. I'm doing it. And you take a couple brothers and you bring it to the church. And then if not, hey, you're out. You're like a heathen. You're like, you're, you're kicked out. And this was a very public thing. And so I got to thinking about this and I said, you know, in the 12 plus years of ministry at this place, I have never stood up here and said, Billy John and, you know, Becky Lou, they are unrepentant in their sin, and so they're not to be recognized as members of our church anymore, and they're out. And we really don't have a, a membership here at Siskiyou Christian Fellowship, right? We, we don't have a membership structure, and that is on purpose. And the reason that we don't have a membership structure is because we want people to come to church here because they've been led to, to come to church here by the Holy Spirit that they come to church here because they are uh, into what the Lord is doing here, that they're, they're obligated to the Lord and not obligated to a man's ministry. And, and that, I think, is important for us. But what people sometimes make the mistake of, well, since we don't have membership, then there's no real uh, authority, that there's no real uh, church leadership here. And I want you to know that if you are a regular attender at this fellowship, then you fall under the leadership and the corrective authority of the pastoral staff and the eldership at the church. And although we've never gotten to the place to where we've had to, you know, bring somebody before the, the congregation and say they're out, uh, boy, we've gotten close. And over the years, man, we have had some very interesting, uh, devastating situations. And normally it never gets to that point because people just leave or they've moved away or the Lord really has protected us. But uh, we've had some very real, um, serious talks. And uh, I say that just to straighten that out because there have been some people who have come to me and said, hey, there's no membership, therefore there can't be any church uh, authority. And I'll have you know that, I mean, we take seriously the position that the Lord has put us in as pastors. And we're not out there sin sniffing, but, you know, if, if things come up, then things come up. And so I have a few of you that I need to know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to call anybody, but, but know that. So verse 9, Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, what epistle is Paul talking about? This is 1 Corinthians. This is the first letter that we have. What, what, what? So there was a letter before this. But where is that letter? I don't know. We don't have it. Why? Because it wasn't deemed as scripture. And I just thought that was an interesting thing that I wanted to point out that, you know, Paul wrote some amazing letters. Paul was an amazing dude, but not everything that Paul wrote was worthy to be considered scripture. Only the things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write uh, were to be uh, used as scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is profitable. It's God-breathed. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's given to us by God. 
and it's profitable for, uh, you know, doctrine and uh, correction, reproof, and, and all the rest. Uh, but the scripture that we have is the scripture that God has, has given us. 1 Peter one twenty one says, uh, For prophecy never came by the will of a man, but, uh, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by his Holy Spirit. And so it's just interesting that as Paul was moved to speak by the Holy Spirit and record certain letters, they became uh, sacred texts. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they were written... They were written to the church at Corinth, but they were written for the church at Wairika. They were written for the churches throughout all ages, and I think that's, that's really cool. And so Paul says, hey, uh, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with the sexual uh, immoral. Don't, don't keep bad company. And, and when he says don't keep company, what that literally means is don't get mixed up. Don't get mixed up with sexually immoral people. Don't, don't associate with them in a close way. That was true for the Corinthian church. It's true for us. What does the Bible tell us? That we are uh, not to be unequally yoked, 2 Corinthians 6.14. That bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15.33. That we're not to have these close, tight-knit relationships with unbelievers, whether that is uh, relationally uh, in, in marriage or uh, in business or, or all the rest. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. Why? Well, we looked at the nation of Israel on Sunday and how the Lord told them to drive out all the, the, the nations in the land of Canaan they were going into. Why did the Lord want them to drive out all those nations? For a couple reasons, because they were a bad influence and because they would cause Israel to sin. And that's exactly what happened. They caused Israel to sin to the point to where they were taken into captivity and removed from the land. And we talked about the story of, of Samson. It's exactly what he did. He was unequally yoked. He married a Philistine woman who drove him into a place where he was disobedient to the Lord. It did not end well with him. Fast forward all the way through, uh, I mean, Judges to the beginning of Kings, and you have King Solomon. He was the wisest idiot to ever walk the face of the planet. A thousand wives and concubines combined, and many of those were pagan women that caused Solomon to do what? Walk away from the Lord. So the Lord says, hey, I'm not trying to be a killjoy here. I'm looking out for you, and if you have these really close relationships with people who don't share the same values or honor and love me, they are going to influence you to compromise your walk with me, not the other way around. We used to have this uh, illustration that we would do in youth group where one kid lays on the floor and one kid stands on a chair and tries to pull that kid up. You know how much easier it is for the kid on the floor to pull the kid off the chair? And that's just the way that it is with us too. But we get into these relationships where we think, oh boy, I can change him for the Lord. If we get engaged, boy, he'll see the light. And, and, and it's a hard thing. It's not God's will for us. And uh, oftentimes there's that influence there. And we have to be careful of that. The Bible tells us, man, don't be unequally yoked. And, you know, I remember uh, there was a season in my life before I was going into ministry where one of my buddies was starting a, a solar company. And, man, genius guy. I mean, he knew his stuff so well. And, 
And so he's like, dude, I need a sales guy. You can head up my sales team. And I was like, this is great. Let's go. And so me and the, the guy he was starting the business with and him, we all headed up to Portland to go to this solar seminar. And it was interesting. I'm, I'm in the back seat, you know, when you're going on a road trip. They're in the front, and I'm kind of in the middle with my head in between them so I can be part of the conversation. And they're just kind of laying out business, you know, these ideas for different systems and, and how we can capture market share and what my role would be. And, and, boy, they're just firing all cylinders. They're getting everything, and it's just clicking right along. And then we start talking about you know, customer service and how we're going to handle, you know, uh, unsatisfied customers and this and that. And my buddy who got me involved was a Christian. He said, hey, listen, man, I, I, I don't care what it costs us. We're always going to make it right with people. Even if we lose money, our name is more important. We have to be honorable when it comes to these things. And the other dude was not a Christian. And he was like, there is no way I'm losing a dime for some cranky, whiny customers. And it was this like, for the rest of the trip, we were there for like three days. They were arguing back and forth. And the reason I bring it up is because these guys were yoking together in business and they were from two completely different worlds. The Lord says, hey, don't be unequally yoked. It's going to be so difficult when you have different life goals. And so uh, does that mean that we are to just live our lives in a bubble? Right? So, all right, we're, we're not to be unequally yoked. So, Where's that balance, right? Because we are to be the salt and the light. How can we be the salt and the light of the earth if we don't have any friends who aren't Christian? Well, it's not that we aren't to have friends who are non-believers. It's that there is a limit to the depth of that relationship. And any of you guys who have had close friends who are unbelievers know that they're just, there's that certain point to where either you're going to compromise to continue that close relationship or that's just as deep as the relationship can go. And that's really what is being said. But here, Paul really clears this up in verse 10. He says, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. I'm going to go back and read verse 9 for context because it doesn't make sense without it. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, uh, immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul says, hey, listen, I didn't tell you to disassociate from sinners. Uh, I told you to disassociate with sinful brothers and sisters. Right? Paul's saying, listen, if I wanted you to disassociate from sinners, that would mean that you would need to go out of this world. There's no place where you can go where you're not going to uh, associate with sinners. Paul says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I was talking about believers who indulge in sexual immorality and all the rest. Uh, don't be near those guys. Kick them out of the fellowship uh, because you'd have to leave the world. You'd have to you know, go to this other place. Uh, you'd have to completely hide away from the world to completely avoid relationships with unbelievers. And there are those that think that that's a good idea. There is that. I mean, people take that, that avenue, but that's not the avenue that the Lord has called us to. 
were to be separated from the world, uh, not, to, uh, not to be unequally yoked, but there's that balance of, of being the salt and light and having relationships that are outside of the church. Um, so Paul is saying, listen, don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Don't be surprised when they're sexually immoral. You can't expect the world to behave like Christians. Uh, and that's what the Corinthian church, uh, they, weren't expecting, they weren't expecting Christians to act like Christians, right? We can't act the, expect the world to act like Christians, but we ought to be honest with our judgment of one another. We ought to expect each other to act like Christians. Does that make sense? And so that really is, is what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, I, I told you not to have uh, these relationships with brothers and sisters who are engaged in this sort of activity, which, I mean, brings up a whole other topic, right? These people who are living in habitual sin who Paul calls brothers and sisters. I'll just let you think on that one. We won't even dive into that this morning. But Paul says, don't even eat with them. Uh, eating was an expression of, of friendship. It was an expression of, of partnership. And Paul says, man, a, a Christian who's knowingly unrepentant in their habitual sin, dude, don't even eat with them. Now, you apply that to our life. You say, wow, that's rough. So often we just say, oh, well, what's the big deal? We're just going to go. You know, I'm going to hang out with my friends who I know are sleeping together. And Paul says, don't even eat with them. And it's not because they're bad people or because they're icky or because it's because the Lord says, man, they need to experience the consequences of their sin. But so often we're afraid that we're going to lose a friend and we say, oh, we we compromise. Paul says, don't do that. Don't even eat with them. Um, And then Paul says, you know, I'm talking about the outside. Uh, those, Those people aren't for me to judge. God will judge them. I'm talking about the church. Judge what's on the inside. Don't allow uh, sin to go and check in the body of believers. That's, that's Paul's message here in verse 5. Uh, that is not the loving thing to do. You shouldn't be puffed up about it. Um, don't let sin go unchecked in the church. Deal with it. For the, for the correction of the individual, deal with it for the protection of the church. And as we consider the words to the church at Corinth, man, it stings a little bit. It stings a little bit to the, the church in America. There's some, some truths there uh, that we're to take sin seriously. Like we talked about on Sunday in our personal lives and like we talked about tonight uh, in the church corporately because God has a plan for us. And when we allow sin to exist in our lives personally and corporately, man, it really it, it derails God's plan for our life. He says, man, I want you to be the salt and the light. I want you to create a thirst for Jesus. I want you to be a light pointing people to the truth and where they would go. And when we're bogged down with sin, corporately, personally, it just disarms us. It short circuits God's plan for our life. And so, man, let us walk in all that the Lord has for us. Amen. Let us walk in all that he has for us. And then 1 Corinthians 15 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as we wrestle these things out, as we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, remember, man, that change comes into our lives really through the power of the Lord and not through the power of self. But let us not be those, again, who compromise with sin personally or corporately. Amen? So, Lord, thank you so much, again, for the lessons that we learn from the correction that you brought to the church at Corinth. And I just pray, Lord, for, for those of us who heard the word tonight, 
and we felt a deep sense of conviction. Lord, our immediate response oftentimes is to be offended and to be guarded. But Lord, I pray that instead of defending our position of sin, instead of being puffed up, that we would mourn, that we would be broken, that we would experience restoration. And Lord, I just thank you for the forgiveness that's available. I thank you for the plans that you have for our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be duped by the lies of the enemy. Lord, who says a little sin won't hurt, but help us to be bold and walk in all that you have for us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Please be with us as we go our way this evening. Shepherd us. Keep us far from temptation, Lord, and work your will through us. I pray that we would be the salt and that we would be the light in our community. We love you, Lord. Again, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.